Latino Stories, historias latinas, es un podcast que nace del proyecto de narrativas orales de latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio, con entrevistas en español, inglés, and Spanglish. Welcome to Latino Stories. I'm Elena Fowles. Hoy me acompaña Carlos Kelly. Dr. Carlos Gabriel Kelly González also known as Profe, specializes in U.S. Latinx media studies and critical game studies. Currently, Carlos is thrilled to be co-editing the first ever collection of Latinx video game studies uh, titled Coded Latinx, Latinx Gaming and Game Studies in North America with La Doctora Regina Marie Mills. In addition to his research, Carlos is also a published performance poet with his 2019 debut collection, Wounds, Fragments, Derelict, published with Two Leaf Press. And I know there is something else in the works for you. And mm -hmm. today we'll be talking also about his um, new book, which was released today, uh, Red Yes, Ready Player One, Latinx Masculinities and Stereotypes in Video Games, which is such a dope title. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> bienvenido a este episodio, Carlos, and bienvenido otra vez, because this is our second episode together. Yes, thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Gracias for the opportunity and grateful to have seen you uh, this past weekend and to, yes. and to be with you again Uh you know, talking with your with your audience. So, Thank you for me. what have you been up to since the last time we we talked? Wow, lots of things. What, what year was that? <laughs> was that 2017? I think it was 20, it was either 2017 or 2018. So yes. right at the start of my PhD. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I received my PhD from Ohio State. I'm the first the in my Ohio family State? to do so. Yeah, the the Ohio State. I forget. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, first in my family to do so. So that's that's a huge milestone. We're we're adding to the numbers slowly but surely. Mm -hmm. um, I moved to Houston, Texas, to to begin my postdoctoral fellowship at Rice University in Latinx Studies. Mm -hmm. I'm working at their Humanities Research Center, and I. Published my first book of scholarship. Yay, Yay. today. So uh, <laughs> it's amazing, you know. And as you mentioned, uh, uh, the first ever Latina Game Studies collection. So I'm really excited for that. I'm actually reading uh, submissions for that currently and uh, first round of feedback to our contributors. Right, right. I've also, uh, and we were talking to this about this a little bit before, but I just sent out my 22nd job application. <laughs> uh, so looking to looking to round it out to 30. I think I'm at 29 total that I'm working on. Uh, so so 30 would be a nice number. I also became a proud dog papa to hmm. my pit bully baby Rafa. So oh, I really, like that yeah. Yeah, I me too. Rafael after after the Ninja Turtle. Because <laughs> he's got an attitude sometimes. Obviously, you've been very busy in the past five years. It's just five years, Carlos. Mm -hmm. You've been doing a lot, a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And you moved to this big state called Texas. Um, <laughs> so how was this transition from living in the Midwest to South Texas for you? Uh, um 
Well, like Ohio, I did not want to come to Texas. You know, uh, I'm a SoCal guy, so the the red states they scare me, and and it's an initial sort of fear. And I always go back to what my advisor slash homie Bill Nadicio told me mm-hmm. uh, when I was you know hesitating about applying to Ohio State, and he said, "There's work to be done there," mm-hmm. and I just. That's a, a, you know, I have many mantras and that's one of them, that there's work to be done here in Texas. And, and when I was at Ohio, Ohio, or at, uh, Ohio State, mm-hmm. and I feel the same way here in Texas, you know, I'm going to enjoy Houston. I appreciate and love the Latina community here and, and overall presence here, especially my students. It's uh, the first time in my life where my entire class was Latina. Mm. here so i felt especially proud uh and and talk about safe spaces because man that that class is i don't know if it'll ever happen again so Mm. i'm really sort of savoring it and, and and having a good time with my students i think just uh you know i didn't want to come to texas because of all the stuff that was happening with with uh policing conversations around gender identity or mm-hmm. race and mm-hmm. especially the whole let's take away bodily autonomy from women so those things really scared me houston is is kind of a, a bubble in the same way that columbus was right in the sense that you know there's lots of liberal politics and and lots of space for uh coming together you know regardless of our identities mm-hmm so in that in that sense, it's been, you know, uh, a different experience. I think if I went somewhere else other than Rice University, uh, but yeah, it's 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 uh, you know, I, I love to Rice if, if that's a possibility, but you know, I don't know, I don't know where these applications will take me, but I don't think that I'm. What I learned is that I can make anywhere uh, home, right? Uh, and that's according to you know that's give him my partner and, and my dog and, and myself, you know, but also the kind of work that I do in the community. I always go back to the saying that we had a laser or the Latinx space for enrichment and research at Ohio state. Mm-hmm. And it was through, through being in the community, build community. So I'm confident that no matter where I end up, I'm going to continue to do that and, and build community across faculty, across staff, across students, you know, even in the community outside of academia. Mm-hmm. It's what I it's what I've been able to achieve and what I want to continue to do no matter where I end up. Now it's just been a great time here in Texas because a lot of the Latinas here we share similar identities in the sense mm-hmm. that we come from a mixture of cultures, from the cultures our parents brought with them to the cultures that we grew up learning here. So I think that we share so much and, and I could do a lot of good work here at Rice to help the, the Latino students here. Uh, but I'm also conscious of, of again, that there's work to be done in many places around the U.S. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you know, we have that similar experience, right, of um, um, teaching at a, a university who um, that was uh, predominantly white. Um, institution and then coming to, um, in my case, a Hispanic serving institution and having those classrooms that are, you know, either 
all Latinx or predominantly Latinx and that experience for us new, right? Um, to have that space and to, and to build community in a different way. Um, and I learned something just uh, a couple of weeks ago about, um, this difference between, um, I still like, you know, think about uh, building safe spaces, but um, a colleague of mine says, no, we're building brave spaces. And I think mm. um, that's a, you know, that's also good. How about safe mm-hmm. and brave, you know, spaces yeah. where we can speak truth um, and, mm-hmm. and wrestle, you know, with some of all of this things. So all of this book banning and, and, and all of the things that are happening right now in our, in our state and, 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 and many other uh, places around um, the U.S. But, <clears throat> Carlos, like I said, um, today, uh, November 14th, um, even though um, our audience will listen to this podcast a week from today, um, you released your book. Uh, um, yeah. I'm going to say that title again because I love it. Um, Ready Player <laughs> Juan. Uh, Latinx masculinities and stereotypes and video games, and um, and so congratulations, hermano. Es Thanks. es un orgullo um, que que hayas podido hacer esto, no? And and um, gracias. So I'm, yeah. I'm I'm very happy for you, um, Carlos. This is a newish field, uh, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, of video game studies through U.S. Latinx perspectives. In fact, you are one of the very few Latinx voices doing this work. Talk to us about this research. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again. I, I, I am very excited. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I held the book, obviously, a month ago when I got my advance, but right. uh, to know that today it's out into the world and it's just... Um, I'm humbled and, and very excited for the future. When it comes, I mean, you're right. You know, I don't want to say I, I. I think there's many of us doing this work, mm-hmm. but but we aren't given space in other collections, or we're not really. There's no like, like I'm just gonna feel out flat out. Like when I was doing this research in my dissertation, I couldn't find almost anything that. Mm-hmm put that put forth Latine perspectives, especially US Latine perspectives. People were writing about Latin America. In fact, uh, a, a colleague and friend of mine, Philip Pennis Tagson, wrote Cultural Code, which, which was a great book and explored sort of context, the importance of context in Latin America and games. But there wasn't really anything saying, I'm Latinx and I'm gonna use my life and my experience to create new theories and new ideas in relation to video game studies. I could not find nothing like that. Uh, And that was great for me (laughs) as a scholar making my intervention, right? Because Ready Player Juan is, is, you know, is pretty much the first book to do things like this. And and that's very, that's even more exciting, right? Uh, And because there was a gap, there's this huge gap in, it is a fairly new subset of game studies, and I, and I think it's sort of the power to unsettle established epistemologies or ways of learning through centering Latin embodied experience, right? But particularly U.S. Latinx experiences, because even as audiences for video games, there's a, uh, there's an emphasis on Latin America versus U.S. Latinxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same thing with video game production. Most of it is done in Latin America with very little U.S. Latinx's, uh, you know, 
building and producing games here in the U.S. So, you know, my term player, Juan, equates to a framework to challenge how video game developers see Latinas, or, or rather do not see us. Mm-hmm. So to me, Player Juan is like a proxy, a, a plethora of stereotypes that get redistributed over and over again to industry's ignorance and industry, which, which is really comprised mostly of white men. Mm-hmm. So to me, I looked inward for my experiences and and to think about my life growing up on the borderlands because that was really important to me too while i was writing in ohio uh you know a lot of the people or latine a lot of the latinas in ohio are so disconnected from their culture uh, wherever that may be given its location you know ohio's location so i really brought my sense of pride to ohio you know my pride in being latinx and being mexican-american <clears throat> And I infused that throughout the project. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, it's 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 a way of thinking about video game studies that can expand the field to think, and not only think, but to like center analyses that are concerned with the intersections that matter to our community as Latinas, but to black communities, to Asian communities, to Southeast Asian communities, to all these folks who are continually excluded from the storytelling and in, in action adventure games. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Um, Carlos, in your introduction, you described video games as borders. And I was interested on on that concept. I was just having a conversation about comics too, as uh, mm-hmm. you know, this um, uh, space where we can um, talk about uh, fronterizo identities, right? Um, mm-hmm. So you use that as a metaphor for la vida fronteriza. Can you comment on that? A driving question for my research was how can I get the rest of the world, especially gringos, to think about Chicanes and Latinx experiences crossing the border? Right. I wanted to. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I used to hear, I'll say that I wanted to, I, I think about this do it. I want to invite people, mm-hmm. but then I, to think differently, right? But then I also want to force people to think differently because I invite like people aren't going to take that invitation. You know what I'm saying? So I, mm-hmm. my goal as a scholar is to be like, look, you, we've been thinking about video games in all these ways, but why, why do we continue to ignore Latinez? Mm-hmm. So uh, now nah, we're going to sit with that. We're going to sit with my culture and with other Latinez cultures. And we're going to dig into how video games studies can change through it. And, and part of that was that all throughout grad school, all I ever heard about was European and white scholars doing all these things and blah, 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 Foucault this, Foucault that, and all this stuff, right? But I was really defiant by reading mostly Latina Chicana feminist scholarship that to me was much more accessible and, and groundbreaking than, than anything I read from, you know, white scholars, mm-hmm. to be honest. And so... This, a similar kind of thing started happening when exploring video game studies, you know, uh, like whether scholars were interested in diversity and equity or not, they completely ignore Latinez. Mm-hmm. Even though we essentially fund the video game industry in the U.S., <laughs> we're the number one group that identifies as gamers and we're 54% more likely to buy a game when it releases. 
so to me these these it's like how how do you continue to ignore us and then how do other scholars continue to ignore us and our ways of seeing see so these huge gaps that to me didn't make sense given how much or 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 how involved latinas are in in being consumers of video games you know to think about the border and la vida fronteriza the majority of my life revolves around the border mm-hmm. so to me it wasn't crazy to think of games as a type of border crossing okay. or the types of cultural exchanges that Ansadua highlights for fronterizos can also be seen or experienced by players when crossing into games narratives right to me video game developers literally construct borders by turning the stereotypes in their representations or characters or stories right as players we cross into these stories and drive narratives forward thus we bring our own lived experiences right mm-hmm. especially as people of color and latinas which really don't square with the ways we're represented right and that that kind of tension and friction really reminds me of sandula's description of the border as being an open wound that bleeds and bleeds again and we kind of all inhabit this third space in video games as folks crossing into the stories that erase us or limit the permissibility of Latina stories. So I was thinking about all that, but I think that when I think of borders, I think of obstacles, right? I think of systems of power that dictate when, where, where when and where we can access certain things. Mm-hmm. So it only was natural for me to think about video games as borders because they're coded in ways that omit, that make omissions, whether they're intentional or not. But those omissions speak to the ways that developers of video games think about the world. And so often they think about the world without Latinx, mm-hmm. which, And if we think about video games as borders, then it's impossible to ignore us now. Right, right. Carlos, you know, a lot has been said about video games and, and, and violence or maybe incomplete representations of certain groups or maybe even damaging representations of certain groups, perhaps uh, minoritized communities, uh, perhaps women too, right? Um, Absolutely. And so... Uh, one of the things that, you know, given, especially uh, coming from your title, how do you see video gaming shaping and at the same time erasing or perhaps distorting Latinx masculinities? Sure. I, I'll i touch on what you said about women, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I write in the book that there's only been in like the last... However many years, maybe a video games, like commercial video games, like the early 1970s, there's really only been like seven playable Latina characters mm. where players can be the protagonist as a Latina. And many of these games are like fighting games, you know, not really sort of character driven or story driven. And so it's out there for, for Latinas, especially, but women in general, we don't often see them protagonizing games. And, and that's, again points to who makes game, which is Mm -hmm. mostly white men. Mm -hmm. But to me, when it comes to masculinity, it's like, I think about how all media traffics and stereotypes, especially when it comes to Latinx masculinities, right? But video games, due to their suturing, how, how they suture players to characters, video games traffic and stereotypes even more grotesquely, Mm. right? That exacerbate already established ignorance, with our televisual representations. Uh, 
So we have to play a game and drive a story forward through our actions. And players experience these stories with greater immersive potential and impacts. Mm. There's much more, there's more room for empathy because we often believe ourselves to be that character. Uh, and a common frustration we might say is, I keep dying. We don't say that our character keeps dying. Right. right? And, I, and I speak specifically to action adventure games, right? So this is why I think that as Latinas, we don't really exist in video games because we're just programmed and coded by mostly white guys who think about Latinas as a food source and reductive stereotypes, not culturally capable change makers or heroes. Mm-hmm. So in, in that sense, we continue to see these stereotypes mass produced because Game developers are willing to do their homework. And in one of the, I haven't played the game yet because I've been waiting for it to for a price drop. But <laughs> Spider-Man Two came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, games are expensive, y'all. <laughs> uh, uh, but Spider-Man Two came out, and I wrote about Spider-Man in, in Miles Morales, especially in my in Chapter Two of Ready Player One. But the new game comes out, and I see a tweet on uh, you know in a news app that I'm, that I'm subscribed to and the tweet says something about why is there a Cuban flag in Miles Morales' room when he's Puerto Rican <laughs> and I could I, I, I believe I mean I couldn't believe it but at the same time like of course uh, because there's I don't like where are the Latinas working in game production and I'm not talking about just coders because coders you can have a bunch of diversity in your coding team. That doesn't mean anything in regards to cultural expertise mm-hmm. or thinking about, uh, you know, the types of expertises that, that we bring as scholars, right? And I'm not saying you have to be a scholar to share your expertise, but what about like writers who embody those cultural experiences and, and identities that Miles Morales embodies, right? A Black Latino. Like, are there any Black Latinas working on the project? Mm-hmm. And, and these are the things I think about when we see these continual failures. Now, Insomniac Studios, who created these Spider-Man games, do they do a pretty good job, especially in, in Miles Morales' standalone game. But it's these oversights, like missing the flag, you know, putting the incorrect flag, that are not small oversights, but rather they are indicative of the entire industry's ignorance when it comes to to Latinx and what to do with us as a populace. Like, because we have different types of Latinx, right, different right. countries, right? And like, what do we do with a black Latino Puerto Rican? Like, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> let's put this flag on there. It looks like Puerto Rico, like, right. you know? And they just don't know what to do with us. And so that's why we see these stereotypes over and over again. I, I just, I, I was like, you know, I was looking to have some fun playing this new game called Starfield, right? And this is huge game. It's really been a game that that people have been looking forward to for years. And I'm playing, and, and I'm playing this mission where I got to go talk to this pirate leader, right? As leader of the pirates. Guess who the leader of the pirates is? <laughs> a undescript Latino who you can't tell where he's from. All you know is he talks like this, and you know he's got that rugged accent. You know, <laughs> we hear in all these movies. And I'm like, cool, okay. Uh, so he's the leader of a criminal enterprise. Excellent. Right, good, good. starting off good. Mm. And then uh, he also, you can't tell where he's from. I mean, we're in space, so that sort of allegiance to Earth might, might, you know, might not be there. But 
they tell you where he's from through curse words. Like, and this is the only ways that his name is Delgado. Mm-hmm. He only uses curse words in Spanish. He never speaks in Spanish otherwise, other than curse words. Mm. So he says a certain curse word that if you think about it, will situate you between a couple Latin American countries. Mm-hmm. But what we often see is Spanish used in this way, not in the service of highlighting any specific attachments to a country, but to say, to invite many Latines to be like, look, see, we included you, even though you don't know who, where he's from. Right. So we get all these, yeah, we get these. And all really you can say is profanity. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yes. And give us a really heavy accent, even mm-hmm. though he's in space. So he's probably been in space for a long time. You know, <laughs> so why would he have an accent? Right. So again, I just think these are stereotypical ways because they just really lack imagination video game developers. And, and we are missing from writing rooms as developers, as CEOs, as leadership, as all of these ways that Latinas can get involved into the video game industry, just missing from them. Right. And so we're behind. We're behind in film. I mean, we're like making a little bit of ways, but the only way that we see maybe a, a, a truer, more um, accurate representations of Latinos in media, right, is when you do have writers who are Latinx. Um, Absolutely. When, when you have, you know, writers and producers that sort of push back um, on stereotypes. But you, yeah. you need to have those people at the table, right? Not just uh, maybe making the costumes or, you know, which all of those, I'm not saying those are not important, but the ones that are going to push back are those who are creating, right? Um, the game or the, or the film or, you know, the show, et cetera. Um, and we're, we're lacking those voices is what you're yeah, saying here. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. And what adds to that, I think that video games have always been a sort of expensive hobby when you think about it. Mm-hmm. And the majority of our community, because we're so young and we continually sort of, we kind of, we kind of stay young through, through our immigration practices, right? That a mm-hmm. lot of young families come here with young kids or they have kids and, and sort of we're starting to see like a lot of Gen Z being Latina and just more Latinas who are young going to college, right? Mm-hmm. But they're still coming to college with really sort of traditional ideas of how to make money how to see themselves within careers, you know, or even not making it to, to careers and, you know, going sort of service route, like being mechanics or owning landscaping companies, honorable pursuits, but we can sort of expand off of that. We can continue right. to pursue things, especially in higher education. Mm-hmm. And so, but the point here is that we just don't have enough experience with navigating careers associated with video games because of our sort of youth and, and inexperience in that way. And I'm sure you um, you talk about this, but what's problematic for me, just like the media, right? Like the media industry, when you have the stereotypes of this um, sort of, no sé ni cómo decirle, cuál es el adjetivo, no? This uh, very, um, well, negative representation of a, a, a Latino mm-hmm man or woman um, and and Latinos as consumers of video games are being fed you know this this images mm-hmm. too that um, affect uh, the you know the sense of identity of of war uh, self-worth perhaps uh, but certainly um, it's feeding this um, you know 
again, toxic masculinity or very, just very one dimensional way of, um, thinking about Latino males, for example. Right. Yeah. And I see it too with my young Latino students when presented with these kinds of ideas, immediately try to defend against them Mm. to sort of rationalize them away Mm -hmm. to say that it's a stretch or that uh that no i don't see it like that it doesn't it doesn't really matter blah 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 all these ways to minimize the sort of impacts that you and i and and many others Mm -hmm. who've done this you know who've done the work of studying this for a long time Mm -hmm. right yeah and again you don't have to do that work just like as a man, many of us kind of this work because unfortunately our society is not teaching us much right. to, to become better and more productive presences for people. But again, it just it just points to like what you're saying, like this these ways of seeing become so normalized that we internalize them. And then especially Latine men who who sort of internalize these more conservative ideas about mm-hmm. representation start to start to parrot those ideas and 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 really cause a lot of damage within our own communities mm-hmm. and unbeknownst to them, right? Because they really haven't done the exploring because again, they're so uh, caught up in rationalizing these things, right. And defending them. Like, uh, you know, it, it just happens a lot and it's sad to see. You know? Right. 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 Uh Carlos, so you are also working on this edited collection with Dr. Mills. How do you hope um, to challenge some of these stereotypes through this collection? What what kind of um, articles uh, do we do you hope you know to put together? Yeah, thank you. You know, I, I'm really excited to to work on this. So I'll tell you how it came about in a second, but I, to think about this collection, you know, it's bringing some really outstanding scholarship to the world by Latinas and non-Latinas alike. Mm-hmm. You know, it, what it does is the collection and the, the call that we invited, we invited over four something people to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, contribute. And so many of them were down, but just couldn't fit it into their schedules. Right. right? Uh, which, which means to me, like, Hey, we got like several volumes of this. Potentially. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's what right? I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and to me, what it does is it centers Latina theory and people of color's experiences to shine a light on the ways that we can approach game studies beyond existing scholarship. This book is going to help combat the stereotypes that exist and highlight new theoretical approaches that can coincide with other communities of color's experiences with being stereotyped. Because we're not the only ones as Latinas who are being stereotyped, right? Mm-hmm. Entire communities that who are basically anybody who's not white exists in stereotypes in video games. And and so what I hope to see is that this collection inspires other collections that sort of give us articles that allow us to take a sort of more critical lens not only are the games we love, but also at the industry. The industry, I don't know how it continues to be what it is today, but it needs people like myself, like Regina Mills and, mm-hmm. and our contributors and the, all the people out there that are writing about these things. It needs us to go in there and like call it out for what it is. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a boys club. It's a boys club. And and we know how boys clubs operate, lack of inclusivity mm-hmm. with their exclusionary practices, with their minimizing of uh, women's experiences, of LGBTQ experiences. So it, it's just not um, 
a positive atmosphere. Okay. And so I, I hopefully the collection shines a light on that and shows other young scholars out there that what we're doing is possible and that they can do it too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't wait to see this collection and then to, to include, we, um, I teach a lot, um, digital humanities, um, Latinx digital humanities, and I can see incorporating, you know, some of this, um, chapters or even your book into our, our class, right. To think about, um, gaming as part of, the possibilities of gaming and digital humanities. Yeah. Oh, there's so many. Uh, uh, just real quick, like to me, digital humanities and, and sort of emerging media are the future, not only of storytelling, but as the university apparatus as we know it. Um, universities that build infrastructure, like gaming, gaming infrastructure and, and sort of digital humanities infrastructure are going to lead the way mm-hmm. in the future now and in the future universities who do not have this infrastructure are going to lose out on incredible talent both at the student level and the faculty level Mm -hmm. and so it's just this is where students are at video games is more popular than film tv and music combined if we think about just think about like taylor swift and beyonce (laughs) how much money they made off of concerts and then you throw them and all the other music artists plus the film and TV, and we can't even you can't even reach what video games does. Right. So it's just uh, you know I think it's it's the same trajectory that comics went through. That there's a lack of respect, there's a lack of understanding, and, and there's an unwillingness to sort of adapt our old models of education to the future of storytelling in universities. And it's so interdisciplinary. There's not like you can be like there are ways to I mean, there's even a term it's called gamification Mm -hmm. and how we gate we gamify other aspects of our daily life, Mm -hmm. Uh, like your step counters. Right. (laughs) Don't you like sort of gamifying health? There's uh, ways of thinking about physical therapy and and Mm -hmm. using video game technology to, to help us get through the physical therapy while being entertained by some sort of you know, video game apparatus. Mm-hmm. There's the gamifying of education. There's always like it's just going to continue. And the, the universities who who get it and and subscribe to this new way of uh, new model are going to be ones that are really successful in attracting new talent, both students and and uh, faculty. With with Code Lab Next, uh, which is Regina Mills' title, which is absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> um, I, I basically. The project came about because I was so frustrated with not being able to access Latine ways of seeing or thinking in video game studies. Mm-hmm. So I pitched the idea to Regina, uh, inviting her to work with me to sort of make this happen. Because I, you know, as a young scholar, you, you have these ideas and you're like, ah, I don't know if it's a good idea. You know, and so I pitched it to Regina and she was so excited about it. You know, this was actually at the Latinx Critical Creative Consortium last year in Texas a and I pitched it to Regina, and then she pitches it to the Latinx Moses, Frederick Aldama, <laughs> who then immediately requests to write the foreword. It, it just shows me not only how 
Yeah, yes. I have valuable ideas to share, you know, and that I can sort of dust off a little of that imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. but also that my colleagues are hungry for this kind of stuff too. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's really powerful because then, uh, you know, Regina and I have been working on this. Uh, we want to work on future projects. We've gone to uh, conferences. So it's just uh, building networks help me to put me in a position to what to do what I want to do, which is help the little homies, mm-hmm. my students. Right. And and that that's the most important thing to me at the end of the day. Like I love this producing scholarship. You know, I love all those sort of things and any accolades that, that come my way. I, I will certainly welcome them. But all of this gives me the space to 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 like embody the possibilities that my students can then go out and do. Absolutely. And then working with Regina, Dr. Mills, she's wonderful. She's great. I can't Mm -hmm. wait to talk to her about her upcoming book as well. And then I love the title Latinx Moses. We, we, it's, we got to continue that. For, for, for oh yeah, Aldama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's taking us all to the promised land, you know. I think, and and kudos to him for 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 really seeing, for seeing so many of us, you know. Absolutely, and, and I uh, yeah. myself too. I have I have experienced the Aldama. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you call it. Um, the Aldama effect. <laughs> yeah, the Aldama effect. Uh, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I really uh, appreciate you mentioning the Latinx uh, Creative Consort- Consortium because, you know, that space that, that he has built, like it was his vision, right? And then he's bringing us all together to share, mm-hmm. to, to share the space, to, to share our work. Um, and that's where ideas happen, right? And this is, uh, uh, he's building uh, not only safe space, spaces, but brave spaces where we can discuss these issues and, and, and push push back have the power to yeah. push back together and to come together test out ideas like I, I really just to shout out the the conference I really enjoyed seeing so many graduate students mm-hmm. and undergraduate students yes. throw down the ideas in ways that I'm like wow mm-hmm. you know this is incredible look at what they're doing look at like and then how all of us as faculty members were in there and we're like thinking deeply about what they share and we ask questions and and engage them in other possibilities, seeing what they might not be seeing mm-hmm. and, and how we can all sort of contribute together to help these young scholars mm-hmm. uh, propel themselves to the next level. Right. It's como ver los pollitos ahí de nosotros. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And to me, I just love it because I was there just, you know, just last year. Right. So I, I really feel connected to them and, mm-hmm. and all my students because I'm like, yo, I might be a doctor, but like I'm still I'm still Carlitos from San Diego, you know. <laughs> right, right. Carlos, you are also a poet. Um, and I was lucky to record a podcast, the fir- our first podcast with you about this work. Um, and we, we said maybe 2018. Um, yeah. are you, what are you working on a new collection? Yeah, thank you. I, I, I am. I read a few or four, four new poems that mm-hmm. I wrote this year at that open mic at the LCCC, mm-hmm. the Latinx Critical Creative Consortium this past weekend in Austin. I, I was, I was nervous, you know, cause it's, it's brand new material. I haven't really 
I haven't really workshopped or, or gotten into the edits, but I really liked the reception that I received and has given me the confidence to continue. And I think what I'm working on is a follow-up collection to Wounds, Fragments, Derelict. In that book, I censored Kid Heart, like Kid Heartbreak. I didn't censor him, but the love, it's a love story with a character thrown in there called Kid Heartbreak. And that character is like, he is me. Uh, but it allowed me to sort of weave themes together in, in the book through poems that were about Kid Heartbreak's knowledge of certain things. Mm-hmm. So all those poems start the same way, Kid Heart, Kid's Heartbreak's knowledge of something. Right? But this time I'm, you know, I'm trying to think how I can sort of create a sequel, if you will, where the next book is going to think, think about how Kid Heartbreak drops the harp and actively searches for himself. Um, and, and some of those ideas, they're just going to be poems, a lot of poems that are titled Kid Something. Mm-hmm. So I have right now Kid Homes, like homie, mm-hmm. pero Kid Homes, um, Kid Love, and, and other ways of thinking about how after a heartbreak and after like some soul searching, which for me was several years, uh, you kind of start to lead self towards a new, new, like a new you. And so that involves like uh, me navigating the past, the present and the future of my identity, uh, belonging. And especially what I'm really focused on now is deep interrogations of masculinity. So it's it's turning out to be an incredible vulnerable examination of who I am and and where I come from, both through socialization at large and through my American heritage. And I call it a sequel because I'm work with lines that come from that book, uh, sort of a continuation of my storytelling through poetry. Mm. And, And this time really trying to get away from the heartbreak and and can focus on other forms of heartbreak, but not attached to not attached to romantic love, right? But like, for example, like yesterday, I wrote some lines on on growing up, being afraid of the word Chicano, mm-hmm. and as a Mexican American with family that comes from Mexico, with parents that come from Mexico, Chicano was something that we did not want to identify as, right. you know, and, and they actively discourage that because to them that meant i don't know what it meant but it wasn't positive mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so coming to terms with my picanidad and and sort of how i think a lot of us are made feel shame around our 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 latinidad whatever that latinidad might be and of course you know at stake through all of it i think what what's going to continue to shine through in my work is the musicality of my bilingual upbringing and inviting all peoples into a Latinx life by learning about my life. Perhaps we can create a more empathetic discourse around how U.S. Latinas struggle to belong. Um, thank you for for sharing what you're working on and and yeah, the yeah. different ways that I mean, you t- you call it heartbreak, but I feel um, that it's also a path through healing, right? Uh, facing this uh-huh. sort of heartbreaks so that we can heal. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I think that that was the end of Wounds Fragments Derelict was me coming to terms with healing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so for me, it, it only makes sense to pick up on, on Kid Heartbreak's journey when he starts to heal. 
Mm-hmm. And, and sort of what what new lessons come my way as I as I go through grad school, as I find new love, as I not only find new romantic love, but, you know, puppy love, if you will, with my dog <laughs> and what that means and, mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, how things change when and just like the meaning of family, you know, like I, I when I used when I think of what sometimes often and before, like I used to think of family as my parents and my sisters. And and yes, that is my family. But now family has changed for, for many years now, family has changed to my partner and I and my dog. And so just having those reflecting on those changes and what that means for my life as not only a Latina, also as as a man. Right. Mm-hmm. Who struggles with emotions and anger and, mm-hmm. you know, these these volatile things that we learn as young men and mm-hmm. really don't learn to or really don't unlearn mm-hmm. unless we we a some women come and help us <laughs> because, <laughs> God, women, thank you for helping me uh, or or b until we somehow we find a way to book the challenge is our, our, mm-hmm. our thoughts. Profe, muchas gracias por esta conversación. No, oh, thank you. I appreciate you and, and the, the space that you carved for, for me and other Latinas to, to share our story. So thank you, profe. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks.